Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Word. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you bestowed upon us. Lord, and you're so good. And it just cannot be measured at all. And we, we do thank you also for giving us the opportunity to serve you. And I personally like to thank you, Lord, for giving me an opportunity to stand before your people and, and break the bread of the word, Father. And thank you for those who joined us online as well. And I just pray, Father, that um, your word will just go forth and accomplish the purpose you have for it. I pray that I would decrease and you increase. And I pray that, that you will be glorified, Lord, that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we are in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 31. 1 Samuel chapter 31. And the title of the lesson is Unreached Potential. Unreached potential. And so many of you who've been listening to the studies or at least coming in person and listening to the studies, uh, you know that um, the main theme or overall theme or the main message that I wanted to get across to you that I feel that the Lord placed upon my heart as we went through the book of First Samuel is reaching your full potential in Christ. And so that's the main theme uh, for that book, for First Samuel, that the Lord placed upon my heart. Again, that's reaching your full potential in Christ. And, and it is in my hopes, or, or hopefully, you found that each lesson has helped you to get to where God wants you to be in your spiritual walk. And, and so many of you may be wondering, what, it, what does he mean by spiritual walk? I mean, in your spiritual life, the way you live, your, your, the life that you're living as the Lord is, um, is coming alongside you, the life that you're living for the Lord. And so hopefully you've gotten closer to the Lord after each lesson. Hopefully you know where God wants you to be and through the power of the Holy Spirit, like I said, you're, you're getting there and you're beginning to do those things that he's called you to do. And so today, as we complete this book of 1 Samuel, I just want to let you know that, yes, we are going to continue in 2 Samuel in our next study. Because originally, 1 and 2 Samuel in Hebrew, in the Hebrew canon or the Hebrew Bible, they weren't called First and Second Samuel. It, it was just one book. And, and so we're going to continue in Second Samuel um, in our next study. And, and so, you know, I'm still praying about that overall thing, but I'm sure it's going to have something to do with reaching our full potential in Christ. Because like I said, it's, it's pretty much one book. And so we want to pick up in verse 1 in First Samuel chapter 31. And if you could turn there or swipe there on your device, if you have that, if you use that, the word of God says, now the Philistines fought against Israel 
And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and they fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. So they were closing in on Saul and his sons. That's King Saul, the king of Israel, if you're new or visiting. And the Philistines, and these are the enemies of the nation of Israel, they killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua, Saul's sons. They killed three of his sons plus him. And so the enemy of these Israelites, the Philistines, you see the terminology there in verse 2 that they followed hard after Saul and his sons. And Saul, of course, as I shared with you, is the leader of the nation of Israel at this point. And so it's not all that surprising that the Philistines would, would try to take him out and would try to take out his sons first or at least early on in the battle. And, and I would say for us, what we can glean from this is that, that we too shouldn't be surprised when the enemy follows harder after us or focuses on us more when we begin to step up in leadership in the work of the ministry. He's going to try to take out the leaders first. He's going to try to get the leaders to fall first. And, And the more you begin to do for the Lord, whether you're a pastor or Sunday school teacher, the more you do for him, the the, the, the more you take on that leadership roles, you'll notice that the problems you didn't have before will, will begin to appear. You're going to think to yourself, well, wait a minute, before I was serving this much in the church, before I was witnessing out in the streets this much, or before I stepped up as a pastor, I, I didn't have these issues before, but all of a sudden I have these issues, and, and you'll see this principle here that I gleaned from verse 2, you'll, you'll understand that principle that the enemy, the devil, is the enemy that I'm speaking of. And, and the fallen angels, which we call demons, they're, they're going to come after you harder. And so overall, this will happen when you start to do more for the Lord and more against Satan's kingdom. You're more of a threat. In verse 3, it says, The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and pierce me through with it or thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse or torture me. And so him mentioning the fact that these were uncircumcised men, were just saying that they were pagans. They, they were not in a covenant relationship with the true and living God of the Bible. They weren't in a covenant relationship with, some would pronounce the name Yahweh. Some would say Jehovah. And so that's the reason for him mentioning uncircumcised men. They were pagans. And so he didn't want them to come and abuse his body or torture him and kill him. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And therefore Saul took a sword and he fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and he died with King Saul. And so Saul, the king of Israel, his three sons, his armor bearer, 
and all his men died together that same day. And so what Samuel said to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 19, has come to pass. Because remember, he went to that medium and, and God uh, allowed Samuel to come up. He was already dead, but he allowed him to come up as an exception to, to speak to Saul. Remember that? And so we, we see that what, Saul, what Samuel said has come to pass. And so that's how you, I believe, that's why I believe it was really Samuel and not just some demon impersonating him. Because what he said, what Samuel said has actually come to pass here. But according to this version of the story about Saul's death, Saul took his own life. He took his own life to avoid being tortured and killed by the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. Oh, he didn't want to be killed by their sword. Instead, he refused or he preferred to be wounded by his armor bearer sword. And his armor bearer, by the way, or the armor bearer is, is pretty much an equipment bearer. It's the person who carries the equipment. And so he didn't always carry weapons, and he could, but he also carried baggage and armor on top of weapons, of course. And so just wanted to share that with you. And so he, he helped out. He helped out King Saul during the battle. And so Saul wanted him to help him another way. Use your weapon to kill me instead of the enemy. And I will say this, that even when it comes to words, the scriptures tell us that the wounds from a friend are better. And I read something in Psalm 141 verse 5. And it says this, it says, let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. And let him, that is the righteous, rebuke me. That's the person, the righteous is the person who has a relationship with the Lord. And it says, when he rebukes us, that the righteous rebukes us, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. You see, the righteous friend, the one who has a relationship with the Lord, that friend who has a personal relationship with Jesus and the righteousness of God has been imputed into their account. You see, they're going to speak the truth to us in love. And they'll speak the truth to us in love for our benefit instead of telling us what we want to hear. So if we're out of line with the will of God and then love that righteous person, that person who knows Jesus in a, person, in a personal relationship, they're going to take us to the side and say, you know what? The word of God says this and, and brother or sister, this is what you're doing. Now, I'm not trying to judge you, but I just, want to, I just want to share with you what the word of God says, because I know God wants you to be successful in your walk with him. I, want you, I know the Lord wants you to meet your full potential in Christ, and, and you can't do that living the way that you're living. So I want to pull you aside, sister in Christ, brother in Christ. I want to pull you inside in love for your benefit. I'm trying to help you. Because that lifestyle of sin is just going to harm you. 
And not only is it going to harm you or affect you in a negative way, but it's going to affect others around you. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect the people who look up to you. And so that, that righteous person who, who strikes you with the words, who strikes you with the words of kindness and love, the, 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 the rebuke and love. Oh, it says here in Psalm 141, 5, and we'll read that again. It said, it shall be as excellent oil. It's to be refreshing to us. They're not just going to tell us what we want to hear. They're not going to pat us on the back because they don't want to lose us as friends. And so I would rather for that loving friend in the Lord to to strike me than an enemy who only wants the worst for me. In verse 7 it says, And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, they, they saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They forsook, they abandoned the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And so this valley, by the way, is the valley of Jezreel. And so those who were on the other side of the valley of Jezreel, they, they saw what was going on. They, they saw, okay, Saul and his sons are dead and, and, and the people who are with them, they're fleeing. So we're going to flee too. And then even people across the river Jordan, they, they saw that. And so, yes, notice, just, just notice that the, these other men followed the lead of the men of Israel who were on the other side of them. They followed their lead. They fled, and so guess what? They fled as well, which means that no one continued to fight. But how about us in the church? Oh, oh, if we see other professed Christians give up the fight, that the fight for righteousness and standing up for what's right, will we? Will we do the same thing if our brothers and sisters in Christ under this or that denomination or our brothers and sisters in Christ in that state or, or maybe in the state on the East Coast, if they give up fighting for righteousness, if they give up standing upon the word of God, will we look at that and do the same thing? Will we back down as, as well or will we continue to press forward and do the will of God and, and stand upon the word of God and stand up for the word of God and for righteousness? If we see other professed Christians caving in to the culture, will we cave in? Will we follow their lead? Will they rub off on us instead of the opposite happening? You see, we're, we're called to be salt and light. And we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. And so by the power of the Spirit, we're able to be that light in the dark world. We're able to be that seasoning that the world needs. We're able to be that preserving factor that the world needs. And again, not by our own strength or power, but because of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Because remember, salt was used not only as a seasoning, 
or, or to give a little flavor to some food, but, but also to preserve. They didn't have refrigerators back then. But, but are we standing out or are we blending in? Even if other professed believers cave in. And I say profess because not everybody who say, says they are a believer is a true believer. There's a difference between the visible church and the true church. Because anybody could come and hang out with the visible church. Anybody could walk through those doors and join the visible church. But does it mean that they're a part of the true church? In other words, uh, what I'm asking is, does it mean that they have been born again? Because you have to be born into the family. Not just show up to a church service and try to blend in physically, but no. Have you been born into the family of God? And if you haven't, then I would say the same thing of what it says in the scripture. As a matter of fact, Jesus in his ministry used this word. He used the word repent. So I want to encourage you to repent and put your faith or your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you haven't done that already. This time is running out. It's running out and, and we don't know when exactly when the rapture is going to occur. But I'm going to tell you this. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that needs to happen for the rapture to take place. And that is when Jesus comes for his church. We meet him in the air. It can happen at any time. But also notice this as we get back to the text in verse 7. Notice that the Philistines now, they begin to live in these vacated cities that these Israelites abandoned. And so take this lesson, the following lessons from that. Here's the following lesson I want you to take from that. Do not, do not abandon where God wants you. Do not abandon where God has placed you. And I'm talking about literally if he placed you in a certain local fellowship, if he placed you at a certain job to be light and salt in that workplace, if he placed you in a certain community, don't, don't, don't abandon where God has placed you. And that's literally, physically, but also in your responsibilities. Do not abandon, for example, your responsibilities that the Lord has given to you. Because if you abandon where God has placed you, if you abandon the responsibilities that that God has given you to steward over. Then know this, that there is a spiritual enemy who would love to step in, just like these Philistines stepped into those vacated cities. Well, we have a spiritual enemy and Satan and and, and these demons who they would just love to come in and fill that void. Also, we step out of place. If you're a father, we step out of place as fathers in our homes. Oh, the enemy will love to come in and take the leadership of that home. Oh, oh, we see what happened in the schools. He took out prayer. He took out prayer. Then I want you to, I don't know the stats right off the bat, but, but look at the stats of how many school shootings there have been. Since they said no prayer in the schools. And by the way, if you're a school teacher and you're a believer, you can still pray. 
What I used to do during one of my periods, class periods, my conference period, I started off at a junior high school. I didn't have any students. I would have that period to prepare lessons, and sometimes they would need me to cover another classroom if a substitute teacher didn't come. So during that time, I would, I would pray. I would pray in that classroom. So if you're a school teacher and you're a Christian, you can still pray in there. You maybe can't lead the students in a big prayer meeting, but you can still pray. But do not abandon your responsibilities. Do not abandon where God has literally or physically placed you because, like I said, that enemy, he's right there. He's right there. He would just love. He would just love to take your spot. And that could be a lesson in itself, but that's... The Lord didn't put that on my heart for that to be a whole lesson, but let's go to verse 8. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa, and they cut off his head and they stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths. And they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. And so you look at this and, and, and you think, how, how disrespectful. You know, yes, Saul had his issues, but that was pretty disrespectful. And yes, it, they, these were disrespectful acts. But, but they were also trying to make some statements and so the main statement was that, that they were trying to make was that their God, that is uh, their God with a little G, helped them to get the victory over the Israelites. That's one statement that they were making by putting Saul's armor in the temple of the Canaanite goddesses. Those are the asterisks. And then p- putting his body and his son's body, by the way, on the wall of the city. Of Beth Shan. They were saying that their God helped them to get the victory over their enemy. They were putting them to shame. But another statement they were trying to make is that their God, their idol God is greater than the God of the Bible. Well, that, they were trying to say that. And, and check this out. In, in 1 Chronicles 10, 10, and I just like how the Bible weaves everything together. So once again, in 1 Chronicles 10, 10, we find out that they also fastened Saul's head in the temple of Dagon. And Dagon was one of the idol gods they worship, another idol god they worship. And so you got all this stuff going on. So they mutilated his body after he was dead, his son's body. You know, wanted to prove a point, oh, our, our God gave you into our hands. That's why we were, you know, so victorious over you, and our God is better than your God. But in regard to Dagon, you know, specifically, we saw even back in 1 Samuel chapter 5, specifically in verses 1 through 7, we saw that God had already shown how superior he is over Dagon. You know, remember, Dagon is this, you know, he's, the, he's their deity, they're, they're, they're God of fertility. And so he was represented with the, the face and hands of a man. 
but the tail of a fish. And so, again, in 1 Samuel 5, God already showed his superiority over them. Remember when, they had, when the Philistines had stolen the, the, the ark of God. Remember Dagon, they, you know, one day they came in and he was on his face. They put him back up on the shelf or whatever. Next thing you know, the next time they came in, his head and his hands were cut off. Only his torso was there before the ark of God. And so, yeah, God already proved this point that I'm greater than any so-called God out there. I'm the king of kings, Lord of lords. It's already proven that. But somehow, some way, the Philistines think that, okay, my, our God is greater. We, we beat our enemy Saul. But the only reason they were able to beat Saul and, and then also kill his sons and the, and, and the Israelites is because the true and the living God allowed it. And he allowed it because he was judging Saul. For the evil he had done. And so as as Christians, I'll say this, we we experience tough times. And it may seem to us that the enemy is getting the upper hand on us. That that the enemy is just slapping us all around the place. The devil is just having his way with us. It may seem that way. why Why does the devil seem to be getting away with stuff and God isn't doing anything, some of you may have thought. But we need to remember that that God is in control. We need to remember that God is on his throne. And, and, And he has never vacated his spot on the throne. The God that we serve is Supreme. He's over everything. He does not need anyone's permission to do what he does. And and so we have to think that if God allowed these things to happen in our lives, as though we may feel like we're being defeated and it's just, you know, just God is just absent or, or whatever the case may be, whatever we may be thinking. We have to understand that if God allowed it, that he has a good purpose for it. He has a good reason for it. And somehow, somehow, some way, it's going to work out for good. But it's going to work out for good for, for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. It's going to work out good for the believers whether it's a good thing that occurs in our lives or uh, something bad that he allows to come into our lives. Remember, he's in control and he has a reason for it. He has not lost control. He wasn't blindsided by it. And so some people may look at this situation. Some of the Israel, Israelites may have looked at this and may have thought that, okay, well, you know, I wonder if their God is greater than our God. Absolutely not. God has a reason. In verse 11, it says now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, 
It says all the valiant or these brave men, they arose and they traveled all night and they took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and they burned them there. Then they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and and they fasted for seven days. And this was a sign of, of mourning. They were paying their respect to Saul. And why would these men of Jabesh Gilead pay respect to Saul? Well, you have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 11, because early on in Saul's career as king, remember Saul came to their rescue. He came to their rescue and he defeated the Ammonites because the Ammonites were picking on them. So, so Saul led the charge in defeating those people, the Ammonites. And he helped the people of Jabesh Gilead. And that was, like I said, early on in Saul's career. That was probably almost 40 years earlier. But they they repaid him with kindness even after his death. They showed him kindness. And as we look at these things that that happened to Saul, and we we understand that that it's a sad way for this man to go out, that it's a sad way for this man's life to end in this manner. After 40 years of reigning in Israel, his body was tortured, was mutilated and so forth. He died in an embarrassing way. He died in defeat. In fact, King Saul died without having reached his full potential as a king, oh, he could have done much more, but he fell short of reaching that full potential. And even more importantly, he died not having reached his full potential as a man of God. You see, King Saul, he, he started off well. If you remember early on in the scriptures here in 1 Samuel, he started off well. He was, he was humble. He was brave. He was honorable. He was heroic. He was even, get this, he was even Holy Spirit empowered. The Holy Spirit at one point had come upon him to empower him to be victorious in battle. But no, he didn't end well. He, he, fell, short as, he fell short of his full potential as king and as a man of God. And First Chronicles chapter 10 Verses 10 through, I'm sorry, verses 13 and 14, it says, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him. And turn the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So again, that's First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. Again, again, we just love how the Bible weaves everything together. So he died for his unfaithfulness. This died in an um, dishonorable way. Died having fallen short of his full potential as king and, and as a man of God. And, and guess what? Some of us have experienced falling short of our potential in different areas of our lives. 
Oh, some of us see these athletes, they, they were so promising. They had this promising future and many of them fell short due to drugs or maybe they committed a crime and ended up in jail, ended up in prison, ruined their careers, but they had such a promising start. And so some people as athletes fall short of their full potential. Oh, there, there was one football player, of course, everybody most people know, you know, Bo Jackson played for my Raiders, Raiders fan, right? But anyway, he, he had this promising career, but he got, his career got derailed, of course, by an injury, an injury to his hip. And, and so, so many people have fallen short in, in, in very areas of our lives. I have fallen short of my potential at one point. I remember I was in the seventh grade, going to junior high school, and of course, I went to school in California. And so, I hate to admit this, but I was ditching school a lot. I see somebody's jaw drop. (laughs) But I I, I missed a bunch of days of school. I was ditching and just doing crazy stuff. And And so, my grade in my math class began to suffer. And I remember one time I went to class and I think I may have forgotten the backpack or a folder. I forgot something in the classroom. And so I didn't even get a chance to go back to the classroom. But my friend was coming out and he ended up actually being my best man in my, in my wedding. But he came, I was coming out of the classroom and he met me with whatever it was I left. And, and my teacher, my seventh grade teacher, I won't forget her name. Her name was Miss Much. He... <laughs> tall. She, she was tall too. She, she, she gave my item, whatever it was, to my friend to give to me. And my friend told me what she said. <laughs> my friend told me, she told him, give this to, Re- give this to Darrell because I don't want to see his ugly face back in my classroom. <laughs> and that's because I was ditching class a lot. And, and so I knew she said that out of love. So I didn't run home like a big, you know, crybaby and, you know, tell on my teacher or whatever, but I knew she said that out of love. So, so guess what? That kind of motivated me because I was falling short of my potential in her class. So that motivated me to, to, to start going back to class and I started doing my work and doing everything. And I ended up winning a, an award in her class for most improved student. But, but at one point I was falling, I, I was, I was failing to reach my potential in that class. And I'm sure in many other areas I've done that as well. But the question I want to pose to each and every one of us tonight is, what prevents us from reaching our full potential, more importantly, in Christ? What prevents us, I'm going to repeat that question, from reaching our full potential in Christ? And I'm going to suggest six things tonight. And the first thing I would say is disobedience to the Lord. That could cause us to fall short of reaching our full potential in Christ. And, and Pastor Darrell, where do you get that? Well, I get that from studying the life of King Saul as we have gone through the book of 1 Samuel. We saw, for example, how he did not totally destroy that Malachites that the Lord told him to destroy. Destroy all of them, even their animals, but he saved King Agag. Agag. 
He saved him. He, he didn't get rid of him like the Lord told him to. And also allowed the people to keep the best of their livestock. And he was disobedient to the Lord. And so that caused him to fall short. And, and this disobedience may be in a different area. But disobedience is disobedience. It causes us to fall short of our full potential in Christ. But then there's a second reason, and that's doing something, for example, like a role that, that, that we're not called to do. And we see that with, with Saul. He was king. He, he has some victories under his belt. He, maybe he's confident. And at one point, he was in the midst of a battle, and, and he was getting fearful. He was getting nervous because Samuel wasn't showing up. Samuel told him to wait till he came, and he didn't do it. So Saul, the king Saul, he offered the burnt offering on his own. That wasn't his job. That was the job of a priest. And, of course, the Lord was not pleased with that. And so sometimes we find ourselves doing something that we're not called to do. We're not checking with the Lord. Lord, what spiritual gifts do you want me to use on this side of heaven? Or what role do you want me to play? And some of us, we get outside of that role. We, we, we try to make our own plans for our lives and for our ministries or outreaches. And we find ourselves doing things that we have not been called to do. And so guess what? As long as we're doing something that we're not called to do, we're always going to fall short of whatever that full potential is God has for us in Christ Jesus. But then get this, and we also find this for, from the life of Saul. Sometimes it's envy. Oh, you want something that somebody else has. You're not happy for that person. They've been blessed and you're not happy for them. You want what they have and you wish bad upon them. But we see this in Saul. Oh, he was envious of David. You know, those ladies sang that song about how many Saul killed and how many David killed. And Saul got jealous because they ascribed more killings in war, that is. It wasn't just going out murdering people, but they, they, they ascribed more to David than to him. And he became envious of David, began to, you know, to hate him, began to despise him. And every opportunity he had, he tried to, to kill him. You see, when we're, when we're envious, yes, we're going to fall short of that full potential because we're too focused on what other people have instead of what God has for us. Lord, I know you want them to do that. I know you want them to have that. But Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you have for me, Lord? I know what you have for me is for me. Let me focus on that and, and reach my full potential in that way. Otherwise, I'll be stuck on other people. Instead of focusing on the Lord and on what I should be doing. And so this could hold us back from reaching that potential. And we see that once again in the life of King Saul, but also not repenting. You know, Saul had opportunities to repent to turn from his sin, to turn from his sin and to, and to really get his uh, fellowship, his relationship with the, God, with, with the God of the Bible straight. 
He had opportunities to do that, but he didn't do it. And so while we have the opportunity, repent. But, but I'm a Christian already. I'm a believer already. No, if you, okay, as a believer, if you sin and the Lord shows you that there's sin in your life, repent. Get, the, get back on track with them. You haven't lost a relationship, but the fellowship's off. And then you'll find that when the fellowship's off, you'll find yourself not sensing God's presence like you should. Not enjoying the Bible studies as you should. Regardless of the teacher. You're going to find yourself, if the Lord is showing you, you should be confessing some type of sin or repenting, even as a Christian. If the Lord shows you that and you're refusing to do that, you're going to find yourself having a hard time opening your mouth to sing these songs. These songs of praise and worship. You're going to be sitting there stiff as a board. Going to feel out of place. Matter of fact, you might not even want to get out of bed to come to church. It got quiet in here. It's already quiet, but I just sense a different kind of quietness. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's the word of God. But how about this? And number five, a lack of humility. You know, in all these things that we talked about, points one through four, you know, you can kind of put it under the umbrella of a lack of humility. And so if we have that lack of humility, if we're not humble, then no, we're not going to repent. We're going to think we're right. He's convicting us of sin by spirit, and, and we're going to just ignore it. No, I was really right, Lord. They shouldn't have said that. And, and Lord, I, you know, you know I, I know you didn't call me to that role, but I, I think I'm a better fit for this role. Lack of humility. But to sum it all up, because some of us, we like to blame other people when it comes to why we're prevented from reaching our full potential in Christ. How come I'm not where God wants me to be? We like to blame other people. But, but, but write this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Me. <laughs> so what prevents us from reaching our full potential in Christ? Me. Don't blame the devil. The devil's going to do what he does. He doesn't make us do anything. He tempts us. He tries to influence us, but you have to make the decision to fall into that temptation. You make that decision. We make that decision. And so to sum it all up, it's me. Saul got in Saul's way. Darrell gets in Darrell's way. So if I fail to reach my full potential in crisis because of me. But get this, God has given us all the tools, as, as Matt comes up, as Matt comes up, remember this. God has given us all the tools to become all that he wants us to be and also to do all that he has called us to do. He's given us the tools, everything we need to be successful in our walk with him. He's given to us, he given to us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And to come upon us, to empower us to be effective witnesses for him, to empower us for service. 
He has given to us the word of God. He has breathed out this holy word that we're able to read today. He has preserved this word throughout the years, throughout the ages, even though people have tried to destroy it. And so we have the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God as tools, if you want to call them tools. He has given to us or allowed us to come to him in prayer, to communicate with him, to show our dependence upon him. He has even blessed us with other believers who can come alongside us and to pray with us. And so we can also come together and use the spiritual gifts God wants us to use. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible tells us that that the spiritual gifts are, are given to the church to profit all. It's you to, to be useful to each other. It's allowed us to use these spiritual gifts. He distributes them as he wills. And so we have all these tools to, to be all that he wants us to be and to do all that he wants us to do in Christ, to reach our full potential in Christ. All these tools. In fact, get this. You may not have looked at it this way. But in fact, he has, he has even put some people in our lives and even some circumstances in our lives that actually oppose us. Let me say that again. He has allowed some people to be in our lives to oppose us. And he has also allowed some circumstances in our lives that are also in opposition to us. And God uses those people, and he uses those circumstances as spiritual sandpaper to to smooth us out, to help us to become all that he wants us to be, to help us to do all that he wants us to do because it's through those sandpapers, so to speak. He uses them to show us how, how far We have grown how far we have come in Christ, how much we've grown, and also how much more we need to grow. And so if we're still responding with attitudes and curse words to people who rub us the wrong way, instead of responding in love and in wisdom and with words of grace, then that shows us, hey, you need to grow some more. You're not where you need to be. But he also may show you, Allow some people to cut you off on the road. I keep using these examples of people cutting you off on the road. I don't know. But anyway, but, but, but he may allow that over and over and you may respond instead of fussing, instead of, instead of putting up, and I hope you're not doing this, Christian, putting up a certain finger. Instead of doing that, instead you say, thank you, Lord, that you prevented them and me from being in an accident. No, I didn't like them cutting me off, Lord, but... You blessed us to not get in an accident. And that, guess what? That shows that you have grown because the year before you may have done something else. And so he has given us all the tools. So see them as quote unquote tools God uses to get you to that place God wants you to be, to help you to reach your full potential in Christ. And I want to leave you with this. Hope you can read that. (laughs) And so... In other words, it says, don't get in God's way. Instead, be aligned with God's way. Don't get in God's way. Instead, be aligned with God's way. And if you are aligned with God's way instead of getting in 
his way of doing things to help you to reach your full potential? If you would just be aligned with his way, are you going to see growth like you never have before? And ultimately, we want to be more and more like Jesus. We want to be more and more like Jesus. So, so people who never read the Bible, you know what they should say? I, I, I never read or seen Jesus in person. I haven't either. I've I, I never opened the Bible, people, some people should say. But they should say this about us at the end of the day. You know what, that Jesus you serve, I, I don't know him, but there's something different about you that, that I can kind of tell how Jesus was by, or how Jesus is through your lifestyle. Because Jesus said this about him and the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And as Christians who are reaching our full potential in Christ, we should be able to say this, that I know you haven't seen Jesus, but if you've seen me, you should be able to see how Jesus is because I'm a Christ follower. And so meditate upon that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're going to help us to get to where you want us to be in Christ. You're going to help us to do all that you called us to do in Christ. And I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your word. I, I thank you, Lord, for the spiritual gifts. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ, other believers. I, I, Lord, I even thank you for those who rub us the wrong way because you're using it all as tools to help us to reach our full potential, Father. And we thank you and we glorify you tonight. And I pray, Father, for everyone under the sound of my voice that you would bless the remainder of their night, that you'll bless their week, that if they're going through any struggles, any trials, I pray that you'll help them to be victorious and to come out on the other side with an awesome praise report. I pray for traveling grace for those of us who will be driving home, Father. And may you open doors for us to minister and to witness to others this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.